My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Maya Adachi and Kota Kimura. In 2018, famous Japanese-Canadian poet and novelist Joy Kagawa brought together a number of people that she knew in Toronto to found Japanese Canadians for social justice. Originally an informal group comprised largely of other older Japanese-Canadian women with long histories of involvement in social justice issues, in the years since its membership has broadened and it has become more of a formal organization. Maya Adachi is a second-generation Japanese-Canadian. She was a high school student when the Black Lives Matter movement first erupted, and that was what prompted her to begin learning about systemic oppressions and getting involved in struggles for social justice. Today, she's an undergraduate university student in environmental studies, and she's particularly committed to work related to the interconnection between social justice and the environment. She hadn't been particularly involved in the Japanese community, but was drawn towards the particular combination of values, politics, and culture represented by Japanese Canadians for social justice. Kota Kimura moved to Canada from Japan in 2003. As a student at the University of Western Ontario, he was involved in Palestinian solidarity organizing, and then in climate justice work and various anarchist-inspired groups. He was living in Saskatoon by the time he got involved in the Occupy movement that erupted in 2011, and since then he's been more drawn to grassroots political work that builds formal organizations and to community-based organizing. And he's been involved in anti-racism, opposing police violence, and standing up against the far right. He moved to Toronto in 2018 and got involved then in Japanese Canadians for Social Justice, and he's also an education officer for the Canada-Philippines Solidarity Organization. The simple but powerful mandate of Japanese Canadians for Social Justice is, quote, to support the struggle for justice, not just for Japanese Canadians, but for all who suffer and call our name, end quote. In opposing violence, exploitation, and injustice by and in the Canadian state, they draw from the long history of people of Japanese descent in Canada struggling against many forms of racism and exploitation, including the anti-Asian riots of the early 20th century and the internment of Japanese and Japanese-Canadian people during the Second World War. At the same time, as their mandate indicates, the group's politics center solidarity. This includes solidarity with a range of struggles by various racialized, working-class, and otherwise marginalized people in the Canadian context, but it also takes seriously the group's connection with Japan. They work hard to be a voice of opposition to past and present injustice in Japan itself, and to injustice committed by the Japanese state. They also oppose the growing strength of the far right that is just as present in Japanese and Japanese diasporic politics as it is in so many other contexts around the world. The group has organized educational events and protests covering quite a range of issues, and of course has participated in events organized by other groups. They have, for instance, taken part in actions in solidarity with Grassy Narrows First Nation, the Wet'suwet'en people, and Black Lives Matter. They've been part of efforts in solidarity with other Asian communities commemorating the lives of comfort women, that is, women forced into sexual slavery by the Japanese Imperial Army in countries it occupied during the Second World War. And this is in the face of a campaign by far-right elements of Japanese communities to deny this history. 
They've worked to support migrant farm workers in Canada, and have drawn the connection to the ways in which some Japanese and Japanese-Canadian people were forced to labour on Canadian farms during the Second World War. They've taken part in an international solidarity campaign for a trans woman from the Philippines detained by immigration authorities in Japan. Most recently, they've been active in the broad struggle in support of homeless people in Toronto. In November, they held a protest in front of Toronto City Hall, demanding more supports, more shelter beds, more permanent affordable housing, more overdose prevention sites, and so on. I speak with Adachi and Kimura about the work of Japanese Canadians for social justice. My name is Maya Adachi. I am a second generation Japanese, or in Japanese we call it Nisei. I think my activism started as a child. I was very into animal rights activism. It wasn't until high school that I really started to think about more human relations and social justice issues in that sense. When I was in high school, the Black Lives Matter movement first started, and that was when I really started learning about police brutality and about anti-Black racism and anti-Indigenous racism and all these institutional forces that contribute to these systematic oppressions. So from there, I started to get more into social justice. I'm in environmental studies now in university, where I'm learning more about the relations between human resistance and environmental injustices and how all these issues are so intimately interrelated. You know, climate justice issues are human rights issues. I think my main focal point with activism is combining environmental with social justice issues. So this has really led me to expanding my social justice lens, and I was not very involved with the Japanese community in regards to activism until I started meeting people in my adulthood that had similar values and missions as me. So this is where I really started to get into Japanese communities for social justice and putting this lens of you know personal history, personal background, and how all our cultural backgrounds come together to you know really drive this force has been really inspiring for me. I joined Japanese Canadians for Social Justice in the beginning of this year and have been attending regularly for the past few months while we've been meeting during quarantine. My name is Kota Kimura. I'm a member of Japanese Canadian for Social Justice. I'm also an education officer for Canada Philippine Solidarity Organization, which is an organization working solidarity with the People's Movement in the Philippines. I've been active for a little over a decade now. I got politicized probably early 2000s when I lived in London, Ontario. I was quite active on campus at Western University. I was involved in Palestinian solidarity movement and then climate justice movement, broadly sort of anarchist-inspired social movements. Then I moved to Saskatoon in 2011, and then that's when Occupy happened. Sort of my experience there made me realize that necessity of organization, but also more community-based organizing that's serving the oppressed, like, you know, sort of everyday oppression that oppressed peoples suffered. In the case of Saskatoon, it was indigenous peoples and in the cities, racialized working class people. So I got involved in organizing around police violence and then some anti-racist activism there as well, like organizing counter-protests against the far-right mobilization. And I moved to Toronto in 2018, and that's when I got involved uh, JCSJ because I haven't had a chance to organize with or even meet with other Japanese people living in smaller cities. Oh, by the way, actually, I moved to Canada from Japan in 2003. And JCSJ was founded by Joy Kogawa, who is a very distinguished Japanese-Canadian poet and novelist. And her close friends in mid to late 2018, I joined around December. 
since then, it became a broader community organization. Even though Joy is still involved, she's one of the members and you know, the group is run democratically. We have held various educational events and participated in protest actions in the broader Toronto community, such as the rally in support of Grassy Narrows, the Wet'suwet'en Blockade, and Black Lives Matter rallies. Our mission statement is JCSJ's mandate is to support the struggle for justice, not just for Japanese Canadians, but for all who suffer and call our name. Tell me more about the founding of Japanese Canadians for Social Justice and about that transition that you mentioned from starting out as a small informal group to becoming a broader organization. Like I previously mentioned, our mission statement is our mandate is to support the struggle for justice, not just for Japanese Canadians, but for all who suffer in color name. So that really emphasizes the importance of solidarity, which necessitates us to reach out to other communities and movements in struggle. And that is grounded in the experience of Japanese Canadians. Historically, experience of anti-Asian racism starting in the early 20th century and culminating in internment during World War II. It started as far back in 1907 at the Vancouver riot, which is one example. Japanese communities in Vancouver were attacked by a mob led by the Asian Exclusion League, which was a group of white settler workers opposed to non-white immigration. And the Japanese people fought back with knives, stones, and bricks. The government back then, Wilford Laurier, was the prime minister. They didn't do anything at all. And the foreign minister, Marquis and King, was even more enthusiastic and opportunistically exploiting the anti-Asian racism. He even traveled to China, India, and Japan to discourage Asian migration. And this was also partly due to Japan's status as newly industrializing imperialist power and the threat it posed to the West geopolitical hegemony. And this institutionalization and consolidation of anti-Asian racism in the Canadian political system paved the way for the internment of Japanese Canadians during World War II. The Canadian state displaced, or quote-unquote, evacuated 20,000 Japanese Canadians from the Pacific coasts of British Columbia through the War Measures Act. Their property was confiscated, and many of them were sent to internment camps in interior BC. And others who were not sent to these camps were sent to sugar beet farms outside of BC in Alberta and Ontario as part of the Ontario Farm Service Force. There, they were forced to work as indentured farm laborers. They had very little freedom and they are constantly under surveillance by the RCMP, as well as subjected to racist backlash from white settlers in the area. This is in the Niagara region, deep south Ontario. And this is very similar to how today migrant farm workers are treated. Obviously, this was one of the many shameful moments in the Canadian history that disproved the myth of Canada as a multicultural, tolerant, and peace-loving nation. It was a product of the very fundamental characteristic of Canada as a settler, colonial, white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist nation founded on dispossession of indigenous lands and exploitation and oppression of racialized immigrant communities and plundering the resources of colonized countries in the global south. So even though many Japanese Canadians gained through decades of struggle, basic civil rights and upward social mobility, there are many communities in Canada who are still experiencing similar structural violence, 
Black, Indigenous, and migrant poor working class people in Toronto who face racist and anti-poor backlash from both the Canadian state and white settlers and other forms of vigilantism. So as a community who once experienced this type of violence, we believe we are obliged to stand in solidarity with communities who are still struggling against settler colonialism, imperialism, and capitalism. So the, of course, this is not only limited to external solidarity work, but also, you know, we want to educate other Japanese people in the community in combating racism and anti-working class prejudices within the community. So that principle really, you know, grounded in Japanese Canadians' own experience of oppression by Canadian state, which, like I said previously, I'm the first generation here. So I don't have any family or ancestors who experienced internment. So I connected with this history very recently myself. But really colors the orientation of, of a group. So even though we are grounded in a specific experience of Japanese Canadians, that very experience necessitates solidarity as a founding principle. We are also founded in opposition to the continuing legacy of Japanese imperialism and the resurgence of far-right ultranationalism within Japanese diaspora. So through our work, we reach out to other Japanese organizations, many of them are more well-established mainstream organizations. And we have encountered criticism and opposition from these groups. Some of them just come from a sort of liberal mindset. I think we're too political or that these social justice issues in general or the actions of the Japanese government or anything that happened in Japan doesn't concern us because we are quote unquote Canadians or that we should rather be, you know, quote unquote model minorities that are acceptable to the status quo. But there are also some really reactionary elements in the Japanese community who are committed to defending Japanese imperialism, both past and present, and labeling any criticism of the Japanese government as anti-Japanese. One of the clear examples of this is the mobilization against commemorating Confort women in North America. Confort women refer to the survivors of institutionalized sexual slavery committed by the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II in various Asian and Southeast Asian countries Japan was occupying at the time. The current Japanese government, they outright deny this ever happened, and they mobilize resources to counter the efforts of survivors to commemorate this atrocity. JCHJ partly came out of the overseas effort of Japanese Canadians to commemorate this atrocity with the Chinese and other Asian communities. But we faced backlash. Some of our members are really personally targeted by the far-right elements in the Japanese community. Again, that also necessitates us to be in solidarity with other Asian communities. And part of my work as an organizer, I'm involved in a Canada-Philippine solidarity organization, working in solidarity with the people's movement in the Philippines. Supporting the struggle is sort of a way of, as a Japanese person, it's kind of like a reparation. Japanese imperialism is an ongoing project, not just a historical past. When people hear Japanese imperialism, they think about the emperor system or like imperial Japanese army. But I mean it in more sort of like a Leninist sense, like corporations out of Japan that are exploiting the resources. They're still exporting capital to countries in the global south, plundering the resources, but also importing cheap labor workers from the global south. There are many migrant workers who are heavily exploited in Japan. Many of them from countries that are formerly colonized by Japan. So supporting the struggle of these people is a very important part of my work personally, but also as an organization. 
we reject the myth about Canada being a multicultural and touring country. We reject Japanese nationalism. They're out of gates actively organizing in Canada as well. So, you know, people might find solace. Some people might react to the settler racism towards Japanese and other Asian people by becoming very nationalist and separatist in a way and t- turn far right politics. But we reject that and we think that internationalism grounded on the principle of solidarity is the only option. So these are sort of underlying principles that led to the founding of our organization and development into a broader community organization. What are some of the ways that these principles, these politics, have been turned into action by the group? I can speak on maybe the most recent actions, and then Kulta can speak on the previous ones. Over the summer, Kulta actually came in contact with some activists in Japan that were working towards freeing a trans woman from the Philippines who was detained by immigration authorities in Tokyo, Japan. She was kept in solitary confinement for almost a year and a half. The only reason being that she was a trans woman, the immigration authorities wouldn't accept her as a woman, and they also wouldn't accept her as a man. She was willing to misgender herself so that she would be in close proximity with other people, and yet the guards still would not put her in either category, and they just left her in solitary confinement. So these activists in Tokyo, they were rallying outside of these immigration facilities for months. And they do this pretty often. They bring signs and megaphones and they yell towards the detainees who often can hear them and they yell back. And a lot of them are in close contact with these activists. So because this is happening in Japan and migrants' issues are something that are also a huge issue in Canada, Kolta came in contact with these activists and brought the attention to us. And we created our own coalition with other organizations, mostly other Japanese and Philippines organizations in Toronto. And we came together to rally in support of these activists, in support of this woman. Her name is Pato or Pat. We organized rallies and webinars. So a lot of these issues of imperialism in Japan are very similar to those in Canada. One of the most recent actions, this occurred in November, was a protest in front of City Hall demanding more support for the homeless population in Toronto and in support of affordable housing, more overdose prevention sites, more access to safe and affordable housing and permanent housing. Despite the pandemic going on, we're still mobilizing. We meet about once a month. And our, like I said, our main focus at the moment is the homeless crisis. Both of these issues connect to our experience as Japanese Canadians. Displacement, incarceration, what's often referred to these days as carceral state. The migrant issue, we explicitly drew the connection between the history of Japanese farm workers during World War II in Ontario to the experience of migrant workers in Ontario today. We had a panel discussion featuring representatives from Justice for Migrant Workers organizing around Leamington. And we also had a speaker from Migrante, which is a Filipino migrant workers organization. Particularly, we featured workers who were former mushroom workers. They were technically victims of labor trafficking, and they were lied to. Their employers falsified you know, what the working condition is going to be like or their pay or they also said they're going to help them with the immigration process and they illegally deducted money out of their wages. So this intermediary agency exploiting migrant workers. The campaign is called Justice for Mushroom 4, which is still ongoing. Justice for PAC campaign, the sort of 
uh, outgrowth of that, connecting experience of migrant workers and migrants in Japan with the workers and migrants in Canada. We had a panel discussion, another webinar that was already after the pandemic started. We had a representative from No One's Illegal talking about migrant struggles in Canada. So connecting that to what's going on in Japan. And importantly, what is going on in the countries of origin, in this case, the Philippines. You know, people forced to migrate because of imperialist plundering and exploitation. The systemic cause of mass migration is imperialist exploitation. Japan is complicit in that. Both Japan and Canada are complicit in that. So we try to highlight that. And the homelessness campaign as well. We held a protest in front of the city hall. Our purpose was to deliver a letter to Mayor John Tory. Of course, he refused. He didn't even show up. But it, again, connects back to the principle grounded in historical experience as Japanese Canadians. You know, people living in the homeless camps are like Japanese Canadians who are dispossessed and sent to internment camps. This is part of our deputational letter to the mayor of Toronto, John Tory. We urge John Tory to act now to resolve the dire situation regarding the homelessness crisis. And we ask the mayor to commit to the following actions. First, to implement an immediate moratorium on forced evictions of encampment residents and temporary shelters from public spaces. Second, open at least 2,000 new shelter hotel rooms in the next four months. This is the only way people will have a safe alternative to living outside in encampments, given that shelters are currently full. For these sites to be successful and truly safe for people, all sites must have overdose prevention services and support on-site that is provided by experienced harm reduction staff. Half of the sites must be located in the downtown core to ensure people are not disconnected from critical services and their communities. And lastly, provide services to people in encampments, providing $1 million to community agencies to distribute survival supplies and fire safety equipment to encamp individuals, ensure people have access to indoor facilities 24 hours a day, seven days a week, including access to winterized bathrooms and showers for encampments adjacent to city sites. So we hope to see this adequate response now as it's getting a lot colder as winter is approaching. So far, we have not seen much action. There are still encampment evictions. There are still evictions happening by landlords in buildings throughout the city. And we really urge the city to act now to house these people. There's nowhere for them to go. And there are so many amazing on the ground advocates and support workers who are working tirelessly every single day to provide these services that the city is refusing. So we really hope that our calls to action will be heard. We hope that these actions will be taken immediately. But for now, we're still demanding these actions. What does the group have planned for 2021? At the moment, I think our main focus, like we both mentioned, is the homelessness crisis in Toronto and not just Toronto, but all over the country. There are so many overdoses and so many people who are without permanent housing throughout the country, and it's only been exacerbated by the pandemic. So for now, we are supporting the calls by the Encampment Support Network in Toronto, as well as other organizations that are actively advocating for people without homes. We plan monthly, we have monthly meetings, and we respond to different issues that arise in the community. We don't have like the really long-term vision right now, but we are much more of an organization than when we started. Like it was more like ad hoc group started by Joy, but now it's more of a community organization. 
there's still a lot of work to do, but I think we're on the right direction. So we just want to take time and do step-by-step organizing, I guess. And what would you say are the challenges and the opportunities for Japanese Canadians for social justice to grow in the future? In the Japanese and Japanese Canadian communities, there are so many different political backgrounds and viewpoints that it's often difficult to connect with everybody. And there's often a lot of conflict when it comes to addressing Japanese issues because we're seen as anti-Japanese for criticizing the Japanese government. A lot of the older members have been targeted by other community members because of their criticisms. And that is still continuing today with these narratives of settler colonialism feeding into this narrative that because we don't live in Japan, that we are completely divorced from these issues, which is not the case at all. And in terms of organizing actions like these, especially during a pandemic, is that we're not always able to show up to in-person events, which can also make it difficult to connect with people when everything is through the screen and, you know, all communication is by email or through Zoom chats. So it is getting a bit difficult in that sense because not everyone can make it out to these in-person actions. But I think we're still doing a pretty good job despite the circumstances. I think the problem is that these mainstream sort of established right-wing elements in the Japanese community, they want to speak for all Japanese people. They promote this idea that Japan is homogenous, you know, often referred to in ethnic terms. Like a lot of actually the far right figures like Richard Spencer, they sort of fetishize that idea. They think that Japan is a utopia, like the model of a white nationalist, because they think that Japan is a monoracial or a single ethnicity, which is not even true if you look at the history or even today in Japan today. There are a lot of oppressed nationalities, like internal colonies within Japan, like a lot of Korean diaspora communities migrant workers from Southeast Asia, there's indigenous Ainu people in northern part Hokkaido and Okinawa in the South used to be an independent kingdom. There was colonized, kind of similar to Hawaii. So these issues are still ongoing and Japan's far from a homogenous nationalist utopia that gets replicated in the political arena as well. Like, oh, they really want to project this image that we all have single opinion. We all nationalists, you know, if you're truly Japanese, you, you know, shouldn't take these criticism or whatever. But we reject that. We're on the side of the people in struggle, people who are oppressed not only by Japanese imperialism, but imperialism in general and colonialism, settler colonialism and white supremacy. We don't forget that we're Japanese and had that experience. But we are also internationalists to the core. So yeah, the challenge is actually from these that want to project the image of homogenous Japanese nationality. There's a famous slogan was saying, like, not in our name. So whenever they do that, we say, you know, that's not true. Like, don't do that in our name. There are contradictions, there are differences inside Japanese community. You have been listening to my interview with Maya Adachi and Kota Kimura of Japanese Canadians for Social Justice. To learn more about the group, search for Japanese Canadians for Social Justice on Facebook. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.